0: Especially in the, the interview with Camille Paglia, I think you said that you fear that, the, that men checking out could be a fatal situation for Western culture.
1: Oh, it's definitely fatal for Western culture. One of the things that struck me over the last year, well, even last night at the lecture, or, um, at last night's lecture, 85% of the people were men. Now, in the 12-part series that preceded that, more and more women came. And then there was this gap, but like the vast majority of the audience was men and men of all sorts like it it wasn't your Like every sort of man was represented there young old rough Civilized the whole range, you know, and they're and they're coming from quite a long distance many of them You know, they they come up and say well I drove from New York City or I drove from Michigan. And it's like well, you could watch it on YouTube It's like no, they're not doing that and That's very promising to me, um, because, well, this Logos... The the West will die without the rebirth of the Logos, because the West is that. So with that gone, it's gone! And we've seen what's arisen to replace it, while there's Fascism, there's Communism, and then there's the New Age mess, because it's a mess. And most of it's wish fulfillment and fantasy and inability to... There's creativity in it, but there's no capacity to edit whatsoever. There's no coherence. And so that stuff's so weak that anyone with any commitment can just push it aside. And there's no justification for the for the Marxism and, or for the fascism. It's like we already had that experiment. Could
0: you describe what you mean by the rebirth of the Logos then in that context?
1: Well, it's it's the... It's, it's part of it is taking taking voluntary responsibility for the appalling conditions of your life. Essentially, that you're a suffering creature that's mortal, right, and that you're the locus of evil. Both of those things, and that it's your response that your life is about responsibility, and it's your responsibility to voluntarily accept that, and then to do what you can about it even though it's in some sense you know it's an enterprise doomed to failure in some sense because you're going to die and 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 the world is a a carnage a place of carnage but that that you can accept that and if you can't accept it then what that means is that you're not integrated enough because if you're integrated enough then you can accept it. It's, it's like the test of the integration, so your your character isn't forged sufficiently if you cannot tolerate that, and it's not like it's an easy thing to tolerate. Often what people do is they just don't think about it, they just push it out of their mind, and no wonder, but they pay for that with shallowness and with self-contempt and with, with the inability to bear suffering nobly, let's say, and that's there's nothing in that that's good for people so the rebirth of the logos as far as i'm concerned is well it's this willingness to take responsibility to for the shaping of destiny that's it i mean the old mesopotamian god marduk when he became the pinnacle god by election basically one of his demands from the other gods was that he be in control of the tablet of destiny Right, and so there's an the old idea among the Mesopotamians was that the highest God was he who was in control of destiny It's like well to the degree that you align yourself properly, then you take responsibility for destiny and that's that's a concentric set of circles with no end, you know because you can straighten up yourself and then you can straighten up your family, and if you do that property, you're simultaneously strengthening the community. And, 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 and then you're a, a model for your peers, and so that starts to spread. And we don't have any idea what we would be like if we all got our acts together. Like, we're pretty amazing as it is, human beings. And, you know, we're probably devoting, who knows what it is in terms of percentage, I mean... Dao Te Ching suggests, you know, that 30%, 30% of people are working to make things better and 30% of people are neutral and 30% are trying to make things worse. Um, so it's obviously a metaphor, but, but there's some truth in it. We don't know what it would be like, what we would be like if we put our effort to making things better, devoted our effort to making things better wherever we went. And it would be interesting to find out
0: how would you summarise why men are in crisis now?
1: I think it's because in, in a deep level, the West has lost faith in the idea of masculinity. Now, that's no different than the death of God. It's the same thing. And so, and Nietzsche knew what the consequence of that would be. I mean, that's most of what he wrote about, you know. And, and so you'd say, well, the divine symbol of masculinity has been obliterated. Well, so then what do you expect? What it, what's going to happen? It's going to, that means masculinity is going to become weak, and especially if the symbol is also denigrated, right? Which, which it definitely is. So, what that means is that the ideal that man could aspire to is denigrated, and well, then with your ideal in tatters, you're weak. That's that's definitional. So, I think the reason that Men have been responding positively to my, my thinking. Let's say, is that I don't buy any of that. I like the masculine spirit. It's necessary, and it's not fundamentally carnage and pillaging. It's not fundamentally rape culture. You know, it's not fundamentally world destroying. And all of those things have been all of those. Aspersions have been cast upon it. That's partly the guilt of Western society for technological progress even and Those are reasonable challenges to be set before men, but They're not reasonable accusations to swallow without criticism and and if it's I, not that what is it?
0: What, what is the masculinity we can aspire to?
1: Well, it's responsibility fundamentally, and and it's 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 to to put it symbolically is that your your responsibility is to incarnate the spirit of the logos. That's your responsibility. That's your role in life, and that is independent to some degree in whether or not you accept the idea of a transcendent and eternal reality. Now, I'm not making a case for that or against that, those things are beyond human understanding. But we know what happens if people act poorly, if men act badly. We know what happens. We know that the world turns into something that's so close to hell that the difference is trivial. We know that. That's the story of the 20th century. So we should learn that lesson, and what that lesson is is pick up the world on your shoulders and walk forward, pick up the world with all of its trouble, with all of its suffering, with all of its evil, and move forward with it. And in bearing that burden, learn that you're the sort of creature that can bear that burden and therefore deserving of respect. That's, that's, the, that's identification with the Logos, and that's… I don't… I've never encountered an, an idea that's better than that because it's not it's so not naive it's the opposite of naive it's like there's terrible evil and there's terrible suffering it's bottomless but the human spirit is capable of voluntarily taking that on as a challenge well it's worth a try
0: and that's where we get me.
1: Yes exactly that's 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 the positive meaning that's the positive meaning that's the world affirming meaning you know and that that's that's self esteem let's say you know which is very poorly characterized it's very shallowly characterized because it usually doesn't involve any sense of responsibility but you know it's obvious if you it's obvious in some ways if you look at the people that other people spontaneously respect, unless they've become unbelievably cynical, it's the people who adopt responsibility and deal with it competently. So it's not a mystery that that would be what you could aspire to. Now, it, it gets undermined if you feel that that force of responsibility is the the raping and pillaging patriarchal culture that's despoiling the natural environment and that's equivalent to a cancer, well, you know, no, I don't buy that.
0: And I assume that you're skeptical of the idea of the description of gender as a spectrum, but
1: no, I'm sp- suspicious of the motives for for putting that idea forward. And and I also think it's it's, it's an imprecise definition. It's not a spectrum, because a spectrum is equally represented at each point in the distribution. So that's wrong. And, it, and the, it's wrong in the way that you would expect it to be wrong, given its ideological basis. Now, you know, there's male and female, and masculine and feminine are not exactly the same thing. And so, and that's a reasonable claim. And you could also make a case that too much masculinity without an admixture of femininity is a form of excess, and that too much femininity without an admixture of masculinity is an, ex- is an, is, is an excess, you know, or, or is a is a uh, um, is a failure. It's 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 an extreme. But the obliteration of the distinction between male and female or masculine and feminine is a it's a psychological catastrophe, not least because those are, are arguably the most basic cognitive axioms. they're deeper than that. They are axioms on which our entire cognitive structure is, is predicated. And Yin Yang: Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. Well, and I think that that's a, a consequence of our biological heritage, like the reality of sex. Sex is very, very, very old. it's a fundamental. Issue and sex is fundamentally about female and male, and there's no getting around that. Now, as I said, you can distinguish masculine and feminine from that, and you can speak about the psychological components of sex, as well as the physiological components, but the real radicals deny the physiological components. It's like, That's Okay, except when they force other people to do the same kind of denial like people are entitled to their opinion But they're not entitled to put it in the law and so that's why I was opposed to Not to transgender rights or to transgender people or I mean, it's that's a sideshow in many ways I'm not trying to trivialize it, but it's not like a it's not the main event. It's emblematic of something else otherwise no one would have cared and I just see it as fundamentally oriented towards destabilization and destruction. I think my, I just sort of complete that that question because I
0: think it, it, it speaks to what you just said. Um, because I think some people who are who are not motivated by the same things that are motivating the sort of extreme postmodernists are are somehow persuaded by their by their claims that gender is a spectrum because there is something in. As, as Jung talked about the anima animus, there is something about the inner masculine, the inner feminine in all of us, and there is a complexity there that that is more than just a sort of um, a, a straightforward masculine feminine yes. binary. Which is where I think that we might be able to to get out of this.
1: Well, that's a reasonable point. You know, I, I you know I, one way of conceptualizing that is in in terms of let's say in terms of the archetypes. Well, we use the Christian archetypes for for. Illustration. So you could say, well, for the male, generally speaking, the Logos is the primary image. And so that would be partly associated with the word that creates order out of chaos and also with the sacrificial crucifixion and that sort of thing, the voluntary acceptance of suffering. But the divine mother and child is behind that because human males are actually quite maternal. right? We, we do participate in raising children. Even if they're not our own, like, you're much more likely to be abused by a stepfather. I think the, the risk is a hundred times greater. So it's not trivial. But still, the fact that it happens at all is is a biological miracle. So human being males, are very maternal for male mammals, or for males, period. And then females are pretty masculine. I mean, but you can kind of see the... the the difference to which the sexes differ, by looking at the difference in their their physiological configuration. You know, men are bigger and stronger than women, and not a tremendous amount, although upper body strength there's a a tremendous difference, but that's approximately how different they are. And that's — they're more the same than they are different. But the differences aren't trivial. The thing is, is that differences that are small at the average can be huge at the extremes. So you might say, well, if you took the most agreeable people, say, the most compassionate people, out of a hundred and segregated them, they would all be women, all of them. And if you took the least agreeable people, and those would often be people who have a criminal bent, they would all be men, and often the cultural force is driven by the extremes, not by the middle. And so, you don't need huge differences in the average to produce relatively large differences in, in, in cultural manifestation. That's why there are so many men in prison compared to women. You know, that's, that's a big deal. And it's not the sexism of society that does that, although it might be to some degree, because, like, male judges give female uh, criminals lighter sentences, for example, than female judges give female criminals. So, but no one ever talks about that. So, so uh, yes, it's, it's reasonable to note the psychological components of masculine and feminine, let's say it at a psychological and symbolic level, but to do that at the same time that you're denying biological reality and playing an anti-patriarchal game behind the scenes and perhaps masking your Marxist anti-capitalism at the same time it contaminates all of it so badly that you can't have a reasonable discussion. And so even this, the transgender issue that arose in Canada is so contaminated by the underlying ideology. Well, first of all, people would have just ignored it if that wasn't the case, but it's so contaminated by the underlying ideology that you can't trust the legislation, not a bit. So, and that was my point.
0: You can have equality, but then Difference is also essential within that.
1: Yeah, unless you want sterile uniformity, which is something that only a tyrant wants. I mean, that's what the tyrant wants: is sterile uniformity. And and the sterile is not only ideational sterility, but actual physiological sterility. You know, and that's no recipe for for the continuation of a culture. You know, and you can be cynical about that and say, well, you know, one culture is as good as the next, and you know. You don't have any responsibility to continue your culture, but it depends on how you want to construe your life. You know, I mean, one of the things that's so interesting about the biblical stories is that there, these ancient people had a sense of the continuity of life across generations that we really don't have, and maybe that's a consequence of, I don't know, uh, a too narrow individualism, something like that, or or maybe a too, or, or maybe it's a, a a present-centered Hedonism, but they're always acting under guidance from God, let's say, as if the consequences of their personal actions echo down the centuries, you know, indefinitely, which they actually do, you know, and so... Um. And then with regards to the issue of what... So you need men and women to play the role in that, and they have to play their masculine and feminine roles, fundamentally, even though male and female and masculine and feminine are not exactly the same idea, um, there's, there's, a, there's no reason to not have the differentiation. It should, be, it should be encouraged differentiation.
0: I feel like there's so much in the Maps of Meaning and the biblical lectures that I, that I really want to integrate into what we're teaching, because I think it's, uh, it's essential stuff mm-hmm. for, for orienting yourself in the world. It's, it, it, it just seems to be completely essential. Right, you essential. can't
1: do without it. Yeah. That's right, absolutely. You're, you're adrift without it. You have, to, you have to have a conscious relationship with the archetypes. Yeah. There's no way, if you don't, then you're susceptible to possession, that's yeah. basically, or to, or to despair, yeah.
0: So, and no wonder. Well you've got to have axioms, so the right yes. axioms are the archetypes.
1: Yes, that's why they exist. Mm. So do you see archetypes as
0: biological structures?
1: They're at least that. Yeah, they're pre-existing, they're pre-existing categories of perception. In the, in the Kantian sense, that, That's a good way of thinking about it. is that you, know, the pure empiricist thinks that you get all your information from the outside world, right? But that's not true because you bring an a priori interpretive framework to the world, and that's instantiated biologically, but then it's also enculturated. So separating the archetype from the underlying biological reality isn't easy. So you have the snake, you have the propensity to to perceive reptilian predators. The manner in which those things are represented in the culture fill those holes essentially, and, and so, that so that can. In the same way, the language instinct form. fills in. Yeah, them that's right. Exactly, yep. it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Like the archetypes are, are manifestations of the universal grammar, grammar of emotion and motivation. That's a good way of thinking about it. Now, they may be more than that. But because, well, we, you know, I mean, life has been moving forward for three and a half billion years. And it moves forward in these patterned manners, like the dominance hierarchy, for example. So that's the, let's call that the masculine archetype. It's part of the masculine archetype. In fact Jung's proclamation was that the female representation of the male so that's the animus is the dominance hierarchy it's the patriarchy so that's the that's the unconscious archetype, mm-hmm. which I think is extremely interesting, given what's happened say in the women's movement because that's what's projected onto men and and it can be projected in a very negative way it doesn't have to be, but it can be and so An animus-possessed woman treats a man as if he's the manifestation of the tyrannical patriarchy. He's a group. He's the group of men. Yeah, the group of bad men, actually.
0: You spoke really well about incarnating the Logos, and I found often sharing, um, for example, sharing in men's groups, speaking my truth, speaking honestly, being vulnerable, being open, being available has been really important. I don't hear you talking so much about the value of, say, vulnerability or the value of emotional honesty. Um, Is that, but as a as a psychologist, that must be something that you value. Is that something? Well, it's
1: more just the value of honesty in general. Like you need to say the things that are you're, you're trying to represent being as accurately as you can in your communication. Right? That's part of the Logos process, that's the truth. It's truth-oriented to love, I think, is the right formula. And love is something like the desire for being to flourish, rather than to be eradicated. Right? Those are the archetypal realities. Are you working for the flourishing of being or for its eradication? And there's a credible case to be made for its eradication. So, But love, I think, is in the in the archetypal sense is the desire for being to flourish and then truth is truth is the attempt to represent your relationship with being in the most precise and accurate manner possible because well you have to adapt to reality so You can't adapt to something to whose existence you will not admit. And so emotional honesty is part of that. Um, But I don't think it's more important than any of the other elements of honesty. The vulnerability issue is you're modeling not so much your vulnerability, but your voluntary, voluntary acceptance of that vulnerability. So, because to just model your vulnerability is not necessarily distinguishable from being a victim you know I'm hurt and and I'm saying that I'm hurt it's that isn't that's not That's not the whole story. The whole story is well. We're all hurt and and some of us more than others certainly, but that it's possible to come to terms with that and with God's grace, let's say and maybe some help from other people to accept that and then transcend it and that's the hope the hope is that you get beyond your, your hurt, because otherwise you tend to distribute it. And and pay it forward, and and that's not good, obviously.
0: What's your attitude to to group work or to, um, sort of some of the psychological processing stuff that has come out of say the 60s and 70s? I've found I found it very very useful, but I've not heard you speak about well,
1: it. Well, it it can go terribly wrong, you know, and and that's part of the reason. It it did, in some ways, die out in in the 60s. Like, it could go terribly wrong. The encounter groups were often very hard on people. It can easily become tyrannical and totalitarian, and I've seen that happen very rapidly in in group situations. Um, But, I mean, group work, it's part of the way that you integrate yourself into the society, so it's necessary. It's obvious that group work would be prone to all those potential catastrophes, because those are the catastrophes of groups but it's necessary and um i would say the lectures that i'm doing for example there's group work there because there's an audience right a crowd and people like the live part of it and there is a difference between speaking to people live in a group and speaking to them say through electronic means there's a there's a there's a collective spirit let's say that manifests itself in the room, and that's a consequence of everyone imitating everyone else unconsciously, and and so, and that, that's a very powerful thing, and can also be provide direction, because maybe if you're fortunate, and things are coming together properly in the room, it's the best part of the crowd that rises up, and then that rises up as a kind of ideal, and then that sort of possesses each individual, because they can see that they're supported in their journey forward, and that these things can be and they can look around and think, well, these other people are taking this seriously and paying attention. And so there's something to take serious here, seriously here, and to pay attention to. And so that's all good. But you have to be very aware that of the pitfalls. And, and so you have to beat yourself with a stick so that you retain the proper humility. And the humility idea is a very complicated one. And I think what that is, in essence, is that you have to remember all the time that what you don't know is more important than what you know you have to remember that, as as if your life depends on it, because it does I mean, even technically, because there's so much you don't know you don't know enough like, you're prone to catastrophe, so you don't know enough, by definition and if you know that and understand that, then that can reduce the temptation to to act in a manner that would be totalitarian or tyrannical and that can facilitate the group work, you know, so It's risky, but everything's risky.
0: And just coming back to the the idea of the rebirth of the Logos, something that's been coming up quite a lot recently is the idea of initiation. And there's there's a couple of organizations in the UK, um, one called Band of Brothers, which is using um, men's work, um, initiation work, of some description, to to take disadvantaged youths and to give them a sense of direction, give them a sense of purpose, give them a sense of, of dignity.
1: Well, part of that's part of what an initiation is for. Like, part of it is exposure to that which terrifies you. That's part of it. But then, in the state that that produces, you're supposed to be inculcated with the cultural wisdom, and that partly is direction. I mean, that's what older men have to provide. It's even the case with elephants, you know, that the young elephants... If a, if a herd is being decimated and the old guys are gone the young guys basically go insane they're uncontrollable and obviously that's the case with human beings and so the the purpose of mature men or the responsibility of mature men is to give young men is to be models obviously but mostly models of direction mm. you know direction mm-hmm. yeah well you need direction you you and you need there has to be a rationale for aiming up because that's direction you don't want to aim down, that's just, why would you aim down unless you were angry and bitter and resentful and, you know, full of hatred and all that? You aim up, and and but that has to be put forward in a way that isn't this too tight-corset, grandmotherly, moralizing. Because anybody with any sense who isn't overly domesticated is just going to reject that. So... You know, that's the kind of morality that Nietzsche described as cowardice, right? He said, most people's morality is cowardice, it's, it's they're afraid. They're afraid to be bad, and because they're afraid they think they're good. But they're not good, they're just afraid, and that's not morality. Morality is, is a whole different issue, and it's partly aiming up, but it's also partly gathering your forces together so that you aren't interfered with while you're moving upward. So, because you, you will be, people test it.
0: Do you think the central problem of Western society is that we're intent on slowing off responsibility at every level?
1: Any society where people are shying away from responsibility is, is a society that's self crippling, because the responsibility is to do the work that's necessary to revitalize and the culture, to rescue its its fundamental, axioms from the darkness to revitalize it and to have it expand and grow and if that isn't happening then Anything that isn't growing dies, you know, that that's sort of a fundamental truth of life and so So I don't know if it's precisely the central problem of the West because it's not like there aren't people who aren't taking responsibility in the rest of the world but it's enough of a problem in the West that it threatens us. And I think that's particularly felt by young men. I think the reason for that in part is that there's the direction for young women in some sense is more obvious both culturally and biologically because young women are encouraged if they're attempting to manifest the logos, let's say, they're definitely encouraged in that. There's no doubt about it. And then as a backup they have the Divine mother and child, and so they're kind of set with men it's more this is perhaps why men have always undergone a a, a ritual initiation because they need to be directed more uh, in a more art in a more articulate manner in a more conscious manner um, they have to be inculcated with the culture in order to decide that adopting responsibility is the appropriate thing to do, and they need a rationale for that, because why the hell would you adopt responsibility without a rationale? It's way… like, the default position is aimless, impulsive, pleasure-seeking, and inertia. Because all you have to do to have that is do nothing, and that's easy. So then the question, immediate question, is, well, why not just do that? And one of the answers is, because you and the world will go to hell and very rapidly, and that's a pretty good answer, and it's actually true. Now, you know, what that means in any eternal sense is not an easy thing to say, but the proximal sense is true enough. So, even inaction is not morally acceptable in the face of the unkempt, unfinished state of being. I guess that's... reasonable way of thinking about it.
0: For our full-length documentary on Jordan Peterson and more great content, check the Rebel Wisdom website where you'll also find details of some of the events we're running for men to give a direct experience of some of what Jordan Peterson is talking about.